Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about gender fluidity danger. It's almost a tongue twister. Jonathan Sines, who's president of Texas Values, joins me in studio to talk about his organization, their work, and extremism as a tool for tyranny. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I hadn't talked yet about the story involving the University of Pennsylvania swim team. There is a uh, guy who swam on the University of UPenn swim team for three years and now is swimming on the women's team, uh, claiming that he is uh, transgender and has become a woman or is somewhere en, en route to becoming a woman. I always want to be sensitive talking about these kind of things because I actually do think there's a growing number of young Americans confused about gender and, and buying into the whole gender fluidity argument. However, as a single issue related to this, there is now a growing willingness of parents of the girls on the swim team, the women on this college swim team, and their parents to complain more openly. Because obviously, when you're a guy, I mean, that's why men and women are very different. One of the many reasons men tend to be stronger and not just stronger, have better endurance, have just be, uh, they're just different than women, shockingly. And so when this uh, guy, who now says he's a woman, joined uh, the swim team, he changed his name. He was Will Thomas, now he's Leah Thomas. And in just a very recent time, uh, he's broken all sorts of records. Uh, school records on the 200 meter freestyle, 500 meter freestyle uh, this past weekend, the record-breaking stretch continued, set a new school record. I'm telling you all this to say that if for women who swim on a college swim team, or engage in any sport at the college level. All those women over the years when other kids in high school were having parties and hanging out with boys and going to the mall and going to the movies, any serious college athlete spent all their time in high school working out, improving their skills, trying, competing to become, to get one of the coveted slots at a variety of schools in their sport. So all these ladies on this team have done this for years and now they're at UPenn and they are recognizing they can't win against a guy. And that's the first point I want to make. No matter what anyone says about what they wish they were, what they want to become, even if they've had surgery and other transitional treatments to try to become the opposite gender, the fact is your identity is born into you from the moment of conception. Every cell in your body is either male or female. That's just who you are and what you are. So the entire concept of gender fluidity is trying to play with creation, but it actually can't change creation, even if one were to complete the transition from male to female or the other way. But that's not even the worst problem. Unfairness to the girls on the swim team is just outrageous. And I could not agree more with the parents who finally said they're going to school and saying this just isn't fair. This leaves our kids at a disadvantage. But 
On top of that, and actually a worse problem, is how much society has gotten lured into using the terminology that the gender fluidity activists, the LGBT, and especially the T part, the transgender part, what they've been pushing. They don't want to just say, this is a guy who wants to become a woman. They want you to say, you, because this person has, create, has done this transition, you must agree that the he is a she. You must call her she. You must make reference to her as she, because that's what she says she is. And so you have the school administrators, newspaper stories covering the story, even the parents writing a letter to the school are using the terminology that this, uh, the LGBTQ activists are saying you have to use. Now she's a she, but she's not. And yesterday I did a long piece on the show talking about the idea that one thing that needs to happen on the conservative side is stop buying into the lies. Stop agreeing with the lies. Stop letting the left set the narrative and then we play along on their playing field with their narrative. The fact is this young person who may be deeply confused and who may earnestly and his heart of hearts think he's a woman. The fact is, he's a guy, and that's why he's winning these tournaments. And it isn't fair to the women, but it's also not fair to society that you have all everyone. It's not fair to him that society humors him. Society does the, pretends with him that he really is a woman when he's not. But the even bigger point, even bigger point, is this idea that we have allowed not just the uh, culture to accept this, but we Americans pay tax dollars to public school teachers, public school administrators, to infect our children, our very young children, with the completely false notion that you can just change your gender and you can just claim you are whatever gender you are. In California, it's already in kindergarten. They are taught, you know, just because your mommy told you you're a girl or your daddy said you're a boy or the doctor says you're a girl or a boy, you really can be anything you want. The school works away at pulling the kids away from the influence of their parents and influence of what the parents have taught their children about their identity as God, creation, created in God's image and likeness, male and female, one or the other, that's what you are. The schools starting in kindergarten in California and in states around the country are actually undermining the parental authority to teach their children their understanding about creation, their understanding of their God-given, your unique, extraordinary, God-given identity as a child of God. And so we, all of society, allowing this to happen are really failing the children. Because if you're a child and, you know, you may be a girl who's a tomboy or a boy who's a little bit more, you know, likes more things that are considered feminine, and you go to school and the teacher's saying, yeah, you don't have to agree that you're really, if you really think you're the opposite, you just be what you want to be and, and you can transition yourself and schools encouraging and enabling this confusion in the minds of young children. Society is failing those children by letting this stuff be fed to them by the public schools. And you want to hear how crazy it really has gotten. One other quick story on this point is this um, astonishing story out of a New England private girls' school. And it's called the Windsor School in Massachusetts. As a tiny aside, people, some parents, decide that their daughters will be better educated, uh, emerge better from high school in an all-girls school, and some parents choose all-boys school, you know, and then some parents like to have co-ed schools. But the very existence of a school for girls only, the existence of the school is because it, it, the school exists because people understand that girls are different than boys. It is fundamental 
to the nature of, of the entire choice, the creation of the industry of girls' schools and boys' schools is because people recognize girls and boys are different. But to tell you how far this gender fluidity lunacy has gone, this school in Massachusetts, a girls' school, is now uh, trying to resurrect themselves and apologize for their past insensitive behavior. They're now dropping, even though the entire student population is, is girls, they're dropping use of she and her. They're becoming more inclusive. They no longer refer to the mother and the father. There's the parent figure. They have a whole, uh, they're a proudly announcing a whole different set of language they're going to use because they are going along with this gender confusion, gender fluidity, lunacy of the left. And it really, at the core, is so unfair to the many, many Christian parents around this country, who, and actually Jewish parents too. In fact, many other religions, I'm sure, teach their children that you have a God-given identity. You are a child of God, you're created by God, and his image and likeness as a girl or a boy, and we are allowing our society, through the public schools, to undermine that teaching, that passing down of traditions, passing down of truth about identity, which has actually been true since time began, since, since the Bible times, when, when we had the teachings from the Bible times about men and women and God creating, uh, and from the Genesis story of God's creation and throughout the Bible, the whole notion of the difference of men and women. And so I wanna close the first five by saying this, I truly do feel for young people who are confused about their gender. Their recent studies show that gender confusion is a growing issue, like more and more young people are confused about their gender, but actually, the confusion is in part due to society's conduct, to our unwillingness to step up, to, to demand that the schools stop teaching this, to demand that schools stay out of the arena of gender identity, gender fluidity, and all sorts of other issues that really belong issues taught in the home by the parents. We are watching, and this is not just a, like many other issues we talk about in this show, this is not just a, a fluke, a circumstantial, uh, a coincidental development within the public schools. It's an agenda. It's an agenda to pull families apart, to fold the Judeo-Christian culture of America apart, to teach kids. You really don't have to listen to the silly old-fashioned parents. We know better than your dumb old parents do. We can tell you what to think. And the schools are succeeding in, in unfortunately, luring kids away from what they've been taught at home. This entire show, the reason I do this show, is dedicated to preserving America. And we may talk all the time about really big legal issues and political issues about border security and maintaining a strong military and maintaining an immigration system that is fair to everybody and maintaining personal liberty and personal freedom and, not, uh, and living free of government mandates about COVID, all sorts of issues. But these issues um, are at the core also of preserving America. We cannot let the government and the left-wing forces in this country undermine the parents' right and responsibility and obligation and privilege to teach their children their God-given identity. Schools need to stay out of it. And frankly, many more kids will probably survive the confusing teenage years they have to go through and the growing up years they go through having the school stick to reading, writing, arithmetic, and let parents teach the issues their children on social moral issues. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. I mentioned the star of the show. We have a guest. He's in studio, which is always fun. It's great to have a guest in studio. His name is Jonathan Sines. He's president of a group in Texas called Texas Values. And I'm going to have him tell you about Texas Values in just a moment. Uh, but a little bit more introduction um, about him. You've heard me mention this show many times. Uh, in, the, in the past, the uh, First Liberty Organization, 
which we've had speakers and, and guests on the show from that organization. Jonathan previously worked with them. Uh, he was their Director of Legislative Affairs and Attorney for First Liberty uh, in Austin, in the great state of Texas, um, and eventually spun off from that organization and spawned or created the Texas Values Organization. He hosts a weekly radio show, Texas Values Report. Texas Values is just a wonderful organization that kind of fights the fight of First Liberty, liberty-based issues, religious-based issues. In fact, um, their website describes they focus on religious liberty, marriage and family, pro-life, and they do this in the Texas legislature and other places. And we're going to hear all about today what his challenges have been in the Texas legislature this year. So welcome to the show, Jonathan. Debbie, it's great to be with you in a wonderful studio you've got here. It's very fun. I've actually had people say, I, you know, you should slow down that screen in the back. The cars are going. It's like, <laughs> no. no, it's not a screen. It's really our cars. Yeah, let me verify. That's that's really uh, Dallas traffic right there on 635. Yeah, it is. No doubt. Yeah, it is. Well, I'd love to have you just start with, just tell about what Texas Values does. I think I'd really love to have you give a thorough explanation of that. And then, as you know, I have a bunch of questions for you. Sure. Well, thank you for inviting me to be here. And, you know, I know we've known each other for a number of years. I think it's the first time I've been able to have the benefit of being on your show. So Texas Values is the largest organization in the state of Texas that's Christian-based and that works on faith, family, and freedom issues. I like to say in the arenas of the courts the legislature and the media. So a lot of our focus is on what happens at the state legislature offices two blocks from the state capitol. Um, we've got members of our team that work out of different parts of the state, including the Dallas-Fort Worth market, Houston, and South Texas. And then we've got supporters in all 254 counties of the state. As an attorney myself, I've been licensed for 17 years. I've worked on some of the most important religious freedom and pro-life court cases at the state, federal, and also at the U.S. Supreme Court. And most recently, I've been to the Supreme Court twice in the last couple of months because of the Texas heartbeat law, also because of a case out of Mississippi, the Dobbs case that protects babies after 15 weeks of gestation from abortion. And so, but you know, as you mentioned, I started with Kelly Shackelford in this community in the Dallas-Fort Worth area on this work, but close to two decades, I dedicated my life as a fifth generation Texan um, on these issues of protecting religious liberty, protecting marriage and family, and pro-life issues primarily at the state level. But look, as I know a lot, what happens in Texas can impact the rest of the country. And so we have an appreciation for that in our organization. Our website's txvalues.org. You can see what we're doing there. But we know that the, our state gets a lot of attention, and I think a lot of times for good reasons. And so we'll pass legislation sometimes here in Texas that we'll see other states decide to do. As a matter of fact, Texas Values is a, an official family policy council that's associated with focus on the family. And we've got about 39 other states that have organizations like ours that we team up with quite often to get the work done on faith, family, and freedom. Love that. And actually, you touched on the very first topic I want to get to, which was the Supreme Court. Yep. You know, I will tell you that as a total nerd, <laughs> I went to law school in Washington. Not you, me. I went to law school in Washington. I met me, not him. Um, and I, you know, back then, the Supreme Court, they didn't have as much worry about security as they do now. Yeah. And um, you could actually, from Georgetown Law School, you can walk over to the Supreme Court. It's really close. Sure. Okay, that's why I say as a nerd, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I thought, what a rich thing. I, I'm in law school. I can go sit and listen to the Supreme Court. It was just an amazing thing. Um, but anyway, it's not that easy to get in and out anymore. But you, uh, but it was a, a really, I used to think about how great it'd be if more and more Americans could see. This is how... Yeah law is made and, and and the final you know 
decider of cases in, the, in America right here, and it's right there in Washington. Anyway, it's really fun. So No, you're absolutely right. And, and look, I've been there twice in the past six weeks at the U.S. Supreme Court. And for attorneys, it's like the Super Bowl, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, to go to the U.S. Supreme Court. And so, uh, you know, for our friends out there that are football fans, you know, we're big Texas, uh, big football fans here in Texas. But a lot happens at the Supreme Court, and whether we want it to or not, they make landmark decisions. They make significant decisions that can impact all of our lives. Sometimes we don't like that, or sometimes something good happens and we're in favor of that. But regardless of whether it's true, whether it should be that way or not, that's oftentimes how it plays out. And so it yeah. matters what the U.S. Supreme Court says on some of the most important issues. The reason we were there is because there's uh, in December, there's a case out of Mississippi, the Dobbs case, which makes it clear babies are protected from abortion after 15 weeks. That case is set up legally to be a direct challenge to Roe versus Wade. I was there on November 1st or earlier after I think that was the right date earlier in the um, in the year in November because the Texas heartbeat law was before the U.S. Supreme Court uh, for the second time. And so, you know, when, when that type of history is happening, when you're on really the cusp of possibly Roe versus Wade being overturned, you want to be there as lawyers. And there were people there that, that were not lawyers, but I'll tell you what, that's exactly where we wanted to be. And that's a part of the work we do at Texas Values is showing up to the fight. I love that. So I want to hit in those two cases. Sure. I obviously talk about the Texas heartbeat yep. bill uh, here on this show. And in summary, it's still undecided. I mean, it went through the court and the court basically said uh, it can function as it is, but it permitted litigation uh, to challenging that law, I guess, by the abortion provider. So it's it's kind of so what was your sense sitting there listening to the justices questions? Are they dubious about this law? When, do, I mean, I'm not asking for your crystal ball, but <laughs> what, what well, uh, well, first of all, uh, Texas values was involved in just about every aspect of the Texas heartbeat law coming to existence. And so we've got a great website set up that's just focused on that, texasheartbeatlaw.com. And so I've been at the US Supreme Court before with oral arguments. You know, you gotta be careful not to read too much into what the judges are saying and what the responses are and what's happening. But I'll tell you, between the Texas heartbeat law case and the case out of Mississippi, the Dobbs case, a lot of the discussion and even the commentary from some liberal entities like like the New York Times suggests that Roe versus Wade is just about done and is on the cusp of going down. And we have to appreciate this a little bit more in Texas. The Roe versus Wade case is a Texas case. It came out of Dallas County. Henry Wade was the district attorney uh, the, for, the, for Dallas County at that time. And that's where that name comes from. But there's a lot of optimism. There's a lot of uh, momentum, if you will, because a lot of times when we see a landmark decision at the U.S. Supreme Court and particularly see what could be considered a reversal or an overturning of a landmark decision like Roe versus Wade, we also see the culture has moved as well. And there is no question that American culture and American society has become much more pro-life. And so, but the Texas heartbeat law is very simple. If an unborn baby's heartbeat is detected, that life is protected. And I think a lot of people understand that. They think about, wait a minute, I didn't realize that a baby's heartbeat could start at such an early stage as early as five or six weeks development and maybe even earlier. And so the more that they understand that, now that technology has evolved, we have babies that are living, um, uh, surviving at a very early stage when there's premature births, we have babies whose hearts are operated on, Debbie, inside no. the womb. Mind-blowing. It's, yep. it's incredible. And so, and that was one of the things that Sotomayor tried to push back on and say, oh, nothing has changed, Justice Sotomayor. Nothing has changed as it relates to an unborn child or what we know about it in 48 years. 
that is ridiculous. I mean, and so there's a lot of testimony and a lot of uh, things and briefs about that. But um, we're in one of the most important and historic moments of our time, and if not this generation, for two generations when it relates to the pro-life movement, and it's exciting. We sure are. And on the subject, the little riff I did back when the heartbeat bill was being up at the Supreme Court, and the Dobbs case too, was this idea that people get the notion that the Supreme Court, when a ruling has been made, it's kind of etched in stone. And, and, you know, there are a lot of commentaries about, well, we don't want to, you know, lightly overturn previous decisions. And we have this stare decisis as kind of a, a, a way to give security to society, predictability. And so it is true that you wouldn't want to have a cavalier court regularly and pointlessly or needlessly overturning precedents. But the idea in this issue, that you're exactly right about the awareness of the uh, what's going on in the womb early stage is very different than it was when Roe versus Wade was passed. Obviously, everyone's making the comparison of Plessy versus Ferguson and then sure. Brown versus Board of Education. You get smarter over decades, you realize what we said before was wrong. So I won't ask you to predict unless you're Well, like no, I, I want to make, but I want to make a couple of points on that because you're gonna hear a lot talked about it and a lot has already been written. And I think it's important. We'll continue to update our website, uh, texasheartbeatlaw.com. We're actually about to release an updated version of that website so people can follow along and get the most accurate information. All right, so first of all, if Roe versus Wade is overturned, that does not mean that you can no longer have abortions in any state or throughout the country or that abortion is banned. It simply means the issue goes back to the states for the states to decide, and that's very important. A couple other things about what happened two weeks ago with the Texas heartbeat law. There were two cases before the US Supreme Court challenging the Texas heartbeat law, and there's no question that the goal, the main goal for both of those cases was to strike down the Texas heartbeat law or in some way get the court to restrict or keep the Texas heartbeat law from being enforced. They lost on both counts. Now in one of those lawsuits, Department of Justice, the Biden administration, they brought a lawsuit that lawsuit was completely dismissed, Debbie, as a result of the U.S. Supreme Court rule. And I think they gave it two lines. They said, you're out, essentially, all right? That case is gone. <laughs> Biden lost, okay? That was one result in challenging the Texas heartbeat law. The other one refused to say that the bill was unconstitutional, refused to say that it couldn't be enforced, and drastically limited the ability for pro-abortion groups to sue certain people on this issue to try to strike it down as constitutional. They allowed them to go back to the lower court, but in a very narrow way that we might not see play out for two or three years. And this is one of the last things. So those were both victories. If you go up to the Supreme Court and the goal of the other side is to try to strike down your law or to restrict it in some way from being enforced and the court refuses to do that, that is a victory. That's happened twice uh, for the Texas heartbeat law. Um, But moving forward, That case goes back to the lower court, but it's going to take some time to do that. And there's no question, we're going to get through 2021 the rest of the year with the Texas heartbeat law still in effect. The first heartbeat law ever to continue this path. We estimate 17,000 lives have been saved since the day it went into effect on September 1st because the abortion entities are saying we're not going to perform abortions until this all gets sorted out uh, completely. But I'll just say this, when the Supreme Court allows your law to continue to exist, to prevail twice, that's about the strongest precedent as you can get. And you don't, you know, you don't have to be a lawyer to sort of appreciate that, in my opinion. Yeah, oh, that, great summary. Really, really appreciate that. And the other point I made, I love your point about doesn't mean abortion ends. It just means it's become state law. There are many, many issues in which the various states have very conflicting and different sets of laws. Divorce, alimony, 
child custody, all sorts of really important tender issues are governed by state law and you have competing, and so people will go to a different state to get married or go to a different state to get divorced. And so it's not like this would be an unusual thing to have a very serious, important issue have uh, different laws in different states that, that govern that, that issue. So it, it is part of the uh, system. And I'll tell you something else I really hope happens is I wish if they can get Roe versus Wade overturned, there would be directly addressing the notion that the Constitution did not contemplate any of what did not, there's nothing in the Constitution, obviously, about abortion. And there was, this was, it was a legislative decision, Roe versus Wade, the trimester breakdown, the assessment of the rising state interest based on trimester. That, that, is, that is legislation that could happen in any state and maybe will. If Roe versus Wade is overturned, you'll have similar legislation, a legislative discussion, legislative record created uh, about, so this is where it really belongs. But to, uh, it goes back to one of the things I harp on this show so often, the Constitution was intended to be the governing document. And we have, unfortunately, over, I don't even know how many decades, uh, chipped away at the notion of federalism, of the federal government having limited jurisdiction, limited issues, and that all issues not directly, uh, all, um, yeah, issues not directly directed in the Constitution to be governed by the federal government belong to the states. And that is really one of the primary uh, bases upon holding on to freedom. Okay, we could talk well, this issue all day. And, and last thing, though, Texas did pass a law that says if Roe versus Wade is overturned, that we have uh, a law in place that says abortions are not allowed at all stages. So Texas is ready for that. And so um, that's something to keep in mind as we move forward. Okay, I want to jump to other things too, because yeah. you guys have lots and lots of issues. And I have gifts to, to present to you too. I don't want Ooh, to forget those. I love gifts. I love Christmas. <laughs> okay, so, and Texas is a big supporter of Christmas. We support protecting Christmas and expressions of it in our Texas public schools. And we fought a lot of cases where we've had to defend that. So I like to celebrate Christmas too. So Debbie, I brought you some Christmas gifts. This is a signed copy of uh, uh, Eric Metaxas's new book, Is Atheism Dead? He did an event for us recently, so that's for you. Love, Eric. Okay. I will love this book. Thank you, you. You know, and if you have uh, kids or grandkids, you know we love football in Texas. This is a Texas Values logo football. And I've got several things in here. I will just keep it. <laughs> wow, this, this is early Christmas. Here, there, right here. here is our Texas Values ornament, which has got a nice little nativity scene on there. That's, that's for Thank you there. Thank you very much. And if I didn't show enough branding already... Just to make sure that your uh, your drinks, your coffee cups, and so on, I brought you a nice Texas Values tumbler with our logo there. Keep those wow. drinks warm and cold. Merry Christmas, Debbie. My goodness, thank you very <laughs> much. These are definitely these are great Christmas gifts, uh, and I love all your logoing. That's really good to do. I love Eric Metaxas. Oh he my was gosh, wonderful he just, at our event yep. in November. Okay, and so Good we stuff. have at our house, we have one tree, we have several trees at our house because I love Christmas. One of them is really dedicated to kind of issues and it has American flag and Texas stuff. And so uh, we're going to have this happy ornament. Maybe up I right can make here. it onto your tree. Texas Values has the manger scene and their, their logo. So, well, thank you so much. Yes. Wow. Okay, that's really, really nice. Now, I still want to go back to Yes, let's, let's talk. Okay, so what Texas Values did in the state of Texas, yeah. uh, do you guys get into the issue of girls uh, and their sports because yep. of guys getting out? And so what yep. is your basic argument that trying to keep boys out of girls' sports? Absolutely. And, and look, I know we got a few minutes left. We passed three major pieces of legislation this year. Texas heartbeat law, religious freedom protection against COVID shutdowns, and so on. 
And also we passed a law called the Save Women's Sports Bill. This is about high school sports. We still need to address the issue at a college level. Yeah. There's no question. But keep in mind, like a lot of states, the state of Texas is able to more closely control athletics for high schools and public schools. In the state of Texas, it's UIL, the University Interscholastic League. And so that is what controls public schools. So we have a new state law that makes it clear that boys cannot compete in girls' sports in our high schools and uh, in middle schools. We, it, we needed uh, several special sessions to get it, uh, but we did end up getting that. I think we still need to address the issue at a college level, but at least for now, we've got that protection through high school in Texas. I gotta tell you, the unspoken, I, I talk about the issue in my first five. Yeah. When society promotes and encourages transgenderism, you can imagine a kid thinking, well, why shouldn't I get to? I mean, I really, I, I'm allowed to define myself. I'm allowed to say I used to be a guy and I'm a girl. Yeah. And I do think for the, for the I, I do have a soft spot in my heart for them because I sure. think they're genuinely confused, but I don't think it helps them toward healing, toward clarity, toward growing into all they're meant to be. Uh, to humor it, to, yeah. to honor it, pretend well, it's real. I, I tell you, one of the benefits of going through this process and having a new state law is there was a tremendous amount of public testimony on this issue from starting in, I believe, March or April all the way in through October. We heard from other states that are suffering from this issue. There's yep. about seven states that have passed state laws on this issue, about 30 that are contemplating them because the issue is unraveling and it's exploding. We had a member from our state entity, UIL, testify. There they're getting more and more calls all the time with parents concerned about this issue. There's no question that biological boys and men, they have a competitive advantage from the beginning. Bone density, their ability to have more oxygen through their lungs. There are just so many things. The list is so long. And this is about sports and about competitiveness. So you have to make sure you do the best thing you can to have a fair environment. And here's talked about a lot, Debbie, is how long women fought to be able to have sports where they could compete. And now they have men coming forward, boys coming forward that are taking their opportunities. And for some young ladies getting into college, the sports is a big part of it. I mean, you've got people like uh, Martina Navratilova, who was a, you know, one of the most accomplished women's tennis players, who's lesbian. It's not about LGB and all that. It's really about, as you mentioned, the T. And a lot of people, we had people that were from the left that testified in support of the legislation um, that we were supporting common sense. We had lesbians, others that came forward and people that were politically not aligned and said, but we see that this is a common sense issue and see common ground to make it clear that you can't have boys and, and men competing in girls sports. Love that. I want to hit one more thing, yep. which is how in the world in Texas could we fail to pass a bill banning, uh, banning gender modification for children? But before I get to that, a lot of people on the subject of, this, of the uh, sports issues have wondered where are the feminists? Where are the radical leftists? Yeah. Where are the feminists who shouldn't they be standing up for the girls who are wanting to compete in girls' sports? And, the, and I, you know, my answer when people ask me that I, after I've, I've had questions after I give a speech about that, the fact is the feminists argue there's no difference between men and women. That's yeah. what they're they're big. They're, instead of saying you know we are different and we you know we want equal rights to education and careers and all those kind of things. They really went off the rails and began trying to say there's no difference between men and women. So to, to weigh in on this yeah. issue, I have to say, okay, never mind, we were wrong, no, there is a difference. Thankfully, a lot of feminists came forward during the public testimony in Texas from around the country and some within Texas, and more and more of them are doing that. There's a great organization called Save Women Sports. They try to bring people from whatever side you're on, 
politically and, and a lot of folks that are from the feminist movement and many of them are former athletes themselves. And so we really see a wide spectrum of people coming together for a common goal on this. And so it was great to have them. And we were, we were more than comfortable to work with them and help get their voice out because it's relevant. Okay, tell me how, because yep. you were down there in the Texas legislative session and there was one case in particular, I've talked about in the show many times, you probably know the family, but how is it yeah, in the, the great state of Texas, how is it that we could not get a ban on gender modification of small children. Why couldn't that get through the legislature? Well, look, I was disappointed as well that we don't have a state law now that directly addresses these issues. We're in need of it. Um, you know, sometimes what you'll see is it takes one or two, three sessions to get certain things done. I don't think it has to be that way, but you'll see kind of a legislative approach to that. You'll see members thinking, oh, we haven't seen this issue. We haven't seen legislation. You know, there were some competing pieces of legislation. There were some things there that I don't think should hold up pieces of legislations, but sometimes it ends up turning out that way. And it's a real disappointment and tragedy because we've got a very important issue here that needs to be dealt with. And sometimes you see, you start with a session and here's what you think some of the leaders are going to focus on, but then you see other issues getting a little bit more attention later on. We saw that. I mean, COVID, election integrity, um, a lot of things came into the session. This is what we're going to do. And so sometimes it can make it difficult, but the votes were there. I mean, from what I was hearing, um, but you see the Democrats also playing games as, as a bill that gets harder to get in, um, in the timing for our Texas House. You'll see them try to slow things down to make it uh, and it puts them in a position to have an advantage to, to kill certain pieces of legislation. But this issue is not going away and it needs to be addressed. You've seen uh, Governor Abbott, our attorney general, try to address it, whether it's through an opinion or whether it's through executive order, whether it's through directives to certain agencies that deal with it. But it's clear that, um, you know, the opportunity and we requested it definitely in the special session as well, that we need to have a state law on this issue. Uh, but the leaders did not get together um, and the chambers did not to get the Senate passed this, these type of things several right. times. It really was, I think, the leadership in the House. Yeah, the leadership in the House. Actually, you know, I, I riffed about that a lot of times on this show. It's a kind of funny thing. If you're not involved in the legislative process, you think, OK, well, these are huge issues. And how could any right thinking person support gender modification, yeah. surgery or treatments or therapies for, for children, and especially when a great deal of confusion exists around the issue still and parents, uh, you know, the parents of one child don't agree on it and yet we couldn't do anything about that. But I do know once you get in session, a lot of explanations of all the way things go. I don't know, I think that all by itself is worth a special session. I, I don't know if we'll get another I, one. No, I agree and, and we've made that request. We've been public about that. And if there's an opportunity, we support a fourth special session. We support having addressing the issue of gender modification as well as addressing the issue of vaccine mandates. There are a lot of important issues that really should not wait until 2023. That was in the next session. So too yeah. long to wait. For a reminder for our people who are uh, listeners who are not in Texas, I believe out of the effort uh, desire not to have an abundance of laws endlessly being passed in Texas, our official session, our Texas legislature only meets for six months every other year. Having grown up in New York, that sound, that'd be really great to make that change in New York and having practiced law in California, that'd be great in California. But here in Texas, this is why we're talking special sessions is because the regular session's over and there won't be another regular session until 2023. And so people that you can, when session ends, 
call for a special session, a lot of push in Texas to try to get a special session. I actually feel strongly both about the, um, uh, the COVID mandate issue. I, I want to have no mandate, no vaccine mandates, all that kind of stuff should have been addressed in Texas. Uh, and then, of course, this um, issue of gender modification, uh, or I've sometimes, I mean, I won't use the other term I've sometimes used. It is a horrific thing to do to children, young children who are still in the process of growing up. But, okay, so I want to tell our listeners, again, to go to your website is txvalues.org. txvalues.org, just like the state, Texas, txvalues.org. You can find out all about our work. Um, You can find out if you want to know a little bit more about religious freedom, about marriage and family, about the pro-life issues. We got different section on that. We've got a new program called the Church Ambassador Network, which is our goal to foster relationship between the government and between churches, and not for political reasons or for lobbying reasons, for relationship reasons. You know, we talked a lot about, is this essential? Is that essential? If there's any way to make it clear that the church is essential is for government to continue to be reminded the value of the churches in religious ministries, individual uh, communities and society and throughout our country. But all that's on our website, uh, txvalues.org, and you can hear about all the the state-based work we're doing. And if some of the work we're doing in Texas, like a lot of people are asking us about how can we pass the heartbeat law or something like it in our state, our contact information is there. People can email me. My email address is jsigns, J-S-A-E-N-Z at txvalues.org. We'd love to be of help, if, even if it's for uh, just for Texas or anywhere across the country. Allow me to make this plug. Texas Values, as you might assume, uh, relies on donations from people who support their work. They do great work in Texas. And right on that website, because I was just there today, you can make a donation to support Texas Values. They really do the kind of work, if you're sitting at home at the dinner table and lamenting during COVID, how come our church is shut down? who's standing up about churches. Uh, This is an organization that does that. Who's standing up for life? Who's standing up for women and women's sports? All sorts of issues that maybe you can't be involved at the legislative level, but they can be for you. So it's a great organization to support. Texas Values, txvalues.org. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming in. God bless you and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, sir. Okay, my very fine friends, I have one more issue I wanna hit. um, And I will just tell you that before I hit it, I just want to ask you if you saw this story uh, out of the U.S. military. And, you know, I love the military. We have military people on the show all the time. Uh, and the issue involved how they're continuing to crack down on uh, what they call extremism. And extremism uh, is defined, of course, a dangerous word because it's defined by uh, those who hold power. So in Washington, D.C., the Department of Defense issued a new policy on extremism. And basically, they are because they get to define extremism, it's very dangerous to people who don't agree with the current political leadership. So the Department of Defense um, issued a... Um, Uh, issued guidelines talking about how they're going to enforce it and they talk specifically about members of the military being watched being they're having their behavior watched to the extent of what they choose to like on social media what they choose to like on social media just stop and think about that so if you're a member of the military and someone has a great posting up about you know kind of worried about the border why aren't we enforcing the border Someone has a posting up, you know, a little bit alarmed about the COVID mandates. Doesn't seem like we ought to be having uh, vaccine passports. I shouldn't be forced to get a vaccine. The litany of issues that you may feel strongly about, you may feel strongly as a member of the military and as I do, about the fairness or lack thereof of the most recent election cycle and about all sorts of election fraud issues. So you're you're a member of the military and you're sitting at home and you're going through Facebook and just hitting like, like, 
That may be evidence the DOD uses against you to call you an extremist. And the danger of it is this. If you say, have a specific issue that says, you know, supporting uh, communist invasion of America, okay, that's a bad thing. You got to stop that. But extremism can be defined by whoever has power, who's ever in power at the time. The Biden administration, shortly after they took office, actually floated regulations wanting to call de people domestic terrorists who challenged the outcome of the 2020 election. They actually talked about that. And is it, what, what is extreme on any issue if you're in Washington and you're part of the, in my view, tyrannical left, and you think your job in government is to control as much as you can of American life, extremism just means anyone who won't agree with you. That's who an extremist is. So this is a very dangerous regulation that the DOD put out. And you know, I, I feel for the members of the military because many people in the military um, you know, love America. That's why they join the military. That's why they serve in the military. And what they're really being told is you're not entitled to your First Amendment beliefs. You're not entitled to weigh in uh, on issues that you care about because we're, being, we're watching you. Now, I know the military, anyone in the military has taken an oath of office and they are committed to supporting the Constitution. It doesn't mean they're committed to supporting the political policy views that are put out by the present commander-in-chief. You aren't obligated to agree with every one of those issues. And so the danger here, what we're seeing in Washington, uh, is that the Department of Defense, therefore the U.S. government, the Biden administration, is deciding what's extreme and what's not. A very, very dangerous step away from uh, First Amendment freedoms. And, and I, I mean, I guess the military folks have no way to fight this, but I, I wish there'd be pushback by the American people about the idea that you don't get to call things extreme just because you don't like them. Before I go to why it matters to you, I wanna remind you that this show is completely supported by listeners. Uh, and so one way you can support this show and have fun doing it and think of great gifts for your friends is to go to mypillow.com. And at MyPillow.com, Mr. Becker will bring that slide right up as he did. Okay, so I just want to tell you that I know Christmas is very, very close. It may be too late for Christmas, although I don't think so. Um, I urge you to go to MyPillow.com, and you can see in the bottom right that Debbie G is my promo code. Don't go to the promo code for all these other talk show hosts. Ignore them and use mine. Go to MyPillow.com. You can pick all sorts of great gifts. As I've mentioned many times, my husband and I have the bathrobes and the slippers and the pillows, tons of the pillows, um, and uh, all sorts of other products from there. They're truly high quality products. And when you go there and order MyPillow from MyPillow.com, you get up to 66% off of all, every item. The percentage off depends what the item is. And uh, use the promo code DebbieG as you're checking out. And that I get a small um, donation too from them for every purchase you make. It's a great way to make high quality products with a discount for you and support this show all in one fell swoop. I want to close the show as I do every week by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start out early today, uh, gender fluidity danger, why it matters to you. And by the way, it's amazing how many people come to the website just to read these. We always put them up at the website, americacanwetalk.org. Uh, UPenn swimmer Leah Thomas uh, is a biological male competing against biological females, winning races by enormous margins, completely preposterous, setting records for women swimmers. Schools at all levels are teaching that biological males can become females. Windsor all-girls school, all in to ban gender pronouns, embrace gender fluidity. All of humanity, for all of human history, has known males, 
competing against females in contests involving physical strength, not a fair competition. Neither surgery nor drugs changed biological identity. Male equals male, female equals female. This is the way it is. UPenn students, parents, coaches, administrators are being made to live under this lie, which eviscerates honest competition and reward the rewards for hard work for their female athletes. It's time for Americans to resolve to refuse to live under lies and the confusion and chaos they create. And we talked about extremism as a tool for tyranny. The use of the word extremism is a tool for tyranny. Department of Defense announces plans to monitor social media likes by soldiers. Intent is to discipline or dismiss those whose likes indicate an embrace of extremism. But who defines extremism? What if a U.S. soldier likes a post expressing concern about open borders, supporting efforts toward greater election integrity, questioning why so many VAERS reports surrounding COVID vac vaccines? Why are there so many deaths and injuries from the vaccines? Defining what is or is not extremism is an extremely powerful tool for totalitarian thought control. It is the means of accomplishing the destruction of free speech. The left intends to use this tool, not just against soldiers, but against anyone, including talk show hosts who dispute what they order to be truth, what they decide for you, they order to be truth. Remember the hyenas and the lions. I'm gonna show you that before we leave the show today. Remember the hyenas and the lions. American patriots must stand up and stick together. Okay, I saved this hyena and lions video for the end, but I want to tell you something first. There are talk show hosts around the country who do conservative shows like mine. We kind of, a lot of us connect and email and, and text. And we are deciding that there needs to be a more active effort to have each other as our guests on our show. To have other talk show hosts who are doing like I'm trying to do. Some of them have a focus on you know various issues. Some really, really focus on election integrity. Some focus on military stuff, whatever it is. Talk show hosts who are working very hard to bring truth to America, to get around the mainstream media censoring, to bring truth at this vital, extremely important time in American history. Part of what the left does, when because the, the left is very much trying to shut down free speech, shut down the American political conversation, shut down people, in some way silence them so they can't speak anymore. So they can't, and so this show, as you, if you watch this show very often, you know I was permanently banned from YouTube. Uh, I've had another, the huge restreaming service has took down, took down all of my shows, like everything we have. We had to rebuild the website in response to that. There is an effort, it's not just the government, it is, it is the anti-American leftist government, but it's also their actions in conjunction with locking arms with the social media giants, the people who produce, um, who control really a great deal of what the, the American people and what the world sees uh, about the news, controlled by the social media giants. So social media tech giants locking arms with the American government, all designed to shut down conservatism to shut down conservative talk show hosts. They're driven off the air, they're ridiculed, mocked, and, and in other ways uh, put down. So this little video I'm about to show you was circulating around on Telegram. And again, if you don't have a Telegram account, you need to go there and get one. But on Telegram, this little video, which I have to tell you, I never used to, I, I love animals, but a lot of times I didn't like watching animal shows and nature shows on TV, because they always wanted to feature, you know, some poor little zebra getting, getting eaten or trapped and eaten by lions or something. But I want you to watch this and I'm gonna tell you why it, it went around Telegram so much.
reason that video went around Telegram so much is because the hyenas who have encircled the, the lioness, the, the female lion, and they've got her, you know, 10 or 15 hyenas to one lion, and they're obviously going to kill her. They're trying to kill her. They get to kill her and eat her. And she's fighting back best she can, but the only way she can fight back is when the other lions came on the scene, charged in, started fighting back against pushing back against the hyenas, and eventually enough lions got on board, drove the hyenas away. I'm telling you this because it's a great visual to let you know what has to happen in order to hold on to America, to stand up for America, to stand up for election integrity and border security and personal health freedom and to stop all of what the left is doing. It takes, it requires standing together. It requires those of us on the conservative side who do see what's happening to America, who do recognize we're watching the Marxist takedown of America, who do watch, as, as many guests in my show have used various ways of explaining it, the, the wrecking ball operation that is the Biden administration destroying freedom in America, destroying the border, destroying our military. To have people stand up requires standing together. The hyenas would have won that battle taking down that one lion, just like the social media mob, the Twitter mob, the left-wing media mob who silence everyone, who work, do whatever tactics they can use, whether it's cancel culture, destroying, maligning, destroying their access or ability to get their word out there. The hyenas are the left. In that video you saw, the hyenas are the leftists who try to pick people off one at a time, try to pick off members of Congress, members of the Senate, candidates, thought leaders, political leaders, talk show hosts, advocates for freedom. The hyenas surround someone one at a time and try to kill them, met you know, metaphorically speaking. And what happens when the lions show up, when the, the, everyone shows up and says, not on my watch, not doing this, the, the hyenas are driven off. We need on the conservative side Every single conservative who understands what's happening to this country, every conservative who recognizes that everything that is destroying America at the hands of the Biden administration, everything they're doing is intentional. It is intentional. They're abandoning the border because they are globalists and they don't care if we have a border. And because they want to have a border wide open so they can fill America with illegal aliens who will soon become Democrat base voters. This is, it's intentional. It, they are perfectly capable of, of sealing the border and protecting the border. They don't want to. They do understand that Biden administration does understand that COVID is not the, the lethal pandemic that we first feared at the beginning. They understand treatments are available around the country and they could stop with a mask mandate and stop with the threats of, of a vaccine passports and stop threatening. I mean, right now they're talking about, again, should they issue a, a mandatory vaccine passport in order to travel, to get on an airplane? I mean, they do that in New York City to get on the subways, but they're talking about that. And there's no reason, there's no reason based on the facts. 
based on the 99.8% survival rate by almost everyone, the uh, ability and uh, the um, availability of effective treatments. And they're aware that people are worried and frightened by the vaccines. That's why they don't want them. What they're doing is conscious. The mask mandates, even though every first-year medical student learns that masks do not stop the spread of viruses. Now, if you know that, that masks do not stop the spread of viruses, and, and yet the government keeps pushing it, and, and many doctors speak up saying, you know, there's really no reason for the mask mandates. Make no sense at all. They're doing what they're doing intentionally. It is intended to create, to, to crush the spirit of freedom of the American people. It's intended to teach the American people. You will be submissive. You will do what the government says. You will not think for yourselves. You will not make decisions for yourself. You will not make personal health care decisions for yourself. We decide for you. It's a very conscious effort at crushing the spirit of freedom in America. I can go on issue after issue after issue. The left is on a roll. They think they won the country. That's what they think. They think they have the country on the way to diminishing America, the great, the strong, and the free, and moving America into the globalist, uh, you know, glorious global cabal that wants to rule the world and keep America and, our, uh, and, and the American people, uh, treat them as a no special thing. America is no special place. Same is true on a whole bunch of other points. So back to the hyena and the lions. The lions won in that video because they stuck together and they attacked back. When you hear conservatives attack, you hear people saying, oh, you know, she's terrible because she said this or he did this, picking on one issue as a left will do, one issue, one event, one statement, one little misstep, and then you are told to dismiss and forever hate a candidate, an elected official, a, a speaker, a leader, a, a talk show host, be a lion. Be a lion, go on the offense, go on attack. Do not let the hyenas that are the American left pull down and take down one person after the next. Stand up for your fellow conservatives. Stand up for the people who are standing up for you. It's part of the way we win this battle to win back freedom in America. I asked Mr. Becker, my happy producer, to save that video because I want you to see it again. We're not gonna play it again right now. We're gonna play it again other times because we're in a, a hyenas versus a lions um, mode and many, many, many issues. America needs you. America needs you to be strong, to stand up, to speak up, to stay in the fight, to stay in the fight at the school board. If you're a person challenging at the school board, challenging mass mandates or CRT, um, you know, curricula of any kind or LGBTQ stuff, whatever it is, stay in the fight. If you get attacked, what, like that one lioness was being attacked, look for your allies, ask people to help be part of standing up and recognizing we are not going to we're not going to win this battle for the heart and soul of america against what we are now facing which is the marxist takedown of american freedom we're not going to win the battle on any one issue with any one person and any one election cycle with any one speaker the best speaker of all it's a battle that requires the masses. Just like the lions, it required many lions to show up to scare off the hyenas. Many lions, many leaders, many people who see what's happening in America. We need to be on board to save this country. I'm Debbie Georgettis, and this is America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can you hear
we talk truth about America.